You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast sponsored by Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 and receive a discount. And by Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Visit DizzyPigBBQ.com, D-I-Z-Z-Y-P-I-G-B-B-Q.com. Use the coupon KIME, K-E-I-M, for 20% off your next order. I don't just pitch these products, folks. I use them. Today... I chat with Mike Jones from USA Today, former Washington beat reporter. He recently talked to quarterback Dwayne Haskins on the Football Jones podcast. Give it a listen. Mike and I also discuss a little barbecue and a lot of Dan Snyder. I also talked to Washington linebacker John Bostic. Why he's excited about Jack Del Rio's defense and listen to the film work he put in this offseason. And then it's me with a few thoughts. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story this weekend on receiver Terry McLaurin. And now, here's my conversation with USA Today's Mike Jones. You can follow him on Twitter at ByMikeJones. I think we have to get started on the important topics here, though, Mike, because it is a summertime, and this is serious stuff, so... What's the best thing you have barbecued or smoked lately? Um, for the whole summer, I really think there's probably the jerk chicken that I did. Yes. Um, the, this recipe, I found it. I fell in love with it. The whole process takes several days, but it's so worth it. Um, I did ribs uh, just a couple weeks ago. I actually just put a chicken in. I'm about to smoke a chicken this afternoon. Um I just put it in the brine. Um, I'm going to let it brine for a couple hours, then I'll throw it on there. But nothing has topped this jerk chicken recipe. That You know, and see, and for people, like, Mike gave that, texted it to me, and I used it. And the best thing was at the end of the meal, my son said, I'm trying to decide if this is the best chicken I've ever had. It was that good. Right, right. I mean, my kids were like, can can you just do this barbecue from now on? And, like, for the – we did it two times in three weeks. And the next time my wife said we're having barbecue for dinner, they were like, wait, the new kind? And she's like, oh, no. She was just throwing some in the oven, and they were really, they were actually disappointed, which made it me is. feel good. But yeah. it's such a long process, I will say. And right. I've gotten some stuff from Dizzy Pig, my, one of my sponsors. But, like, they've been really good, and they have some really good spices. And we just did some Peruvian chicken the other day. They have a Peruvian spice rub, and then their cowlick on the beef, which was really good. But the other thing, Mike, that I did that I was really happy with were grilled pears. I grilled some pears. Now, I'm going to walk through this. Here's here's what our jobs are like. So I've been talking about grilled pears for a long time. because like I've done it before. My kids like it. 
and I found another recipe that I like. So like, okay, tonight's a good night to make it. Right. You know, I got home early from work at Redskin or Washington, whatever the facility is called now. I'm like, I think I'm clear tonight. So I go in and I grill it and I bring them in and they look good. I put them on the counter. I check my phone and there's an announcement about Ron Rivera. Now, his cancer is obviously an important thing, like, but it's just more like you, know, you put it down, you just go back and start working. And the kids had, my wife had it. It was really good. But it, it was it was really good. It's a really good treat because you, you grill it on each side for about five. You put a little bit of butter on it, about five minutes a side. When you flip it over, I put I sprinkled some brown sugar and cinnamon on it. Right. And that gave right. it a nice little flavor. And then of course you scoop a scoop of ice cream on there. And the topper for that to me was I smoked some almonds and pecans and uh, put uh, that on top of it. That gives it a little bit of crunch that finishes it off. So that was a big hit. So I enjoyed good. that. So anyway, chicken and you bring the dessert next time. Yeah, the, well, the you know. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, I was going to do a brisket and then that kind of got mixed um, because I'm trying to remember like, Oh, I know. Cause my son messed that up. He was going to be around and it, it was going to be hard to do. So I had to scrap it. Um, but cause I'm always like, you know, with the brisket, it's so hard to get it right. Yeah. That yeah. Um, I've been really nailing the, 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 um, the bark, but I've got to get the tenderness better. It's good, but it's got to be better than that. So gotcha. anyways, so you had a conversation with Dwayne Haskins on your last podcast where people want to go check it out. Mike, tell them where they can go get that. Yeah, go <laughs> to the, uh, the Football Jones podcast and check it out. Uh, or you can go to my uh, – you should find that on iTunes. You also can um, go to my Twitter profile, at by Mike Jones, and I have a link to the podcast on there and my bio as well. So what did you learn from that conversation with him? Um, I think I learned just kind of where he was a year after. Because I talked to him in Richmond. We sat down for a while of his rookie training camp. And at that time, he was still trying to figure out how to call the plays, you know, in a huddle. Just baby, baby steps. And just hearing what his work consisted of this offseason – um, not just physically, but mentally as well. And the maturity, you can just hear and see a difference just that the way that the thought process is unfolding for him. And so I learned about that growth, um, learned where he is now and kind of how Quincy Avery um, and just his familiarity having been in the league right. uh, through a very tumultuous rookie season, a lot on and off the field going on, just how all those things helped him mature right now as he's entering his second pro season and it was you know i've had i had quincy i know you had quincy on as well and i had bryson spinner who works with him locally and both of them said that they noticed a difference in him when they when they got to him in the offseason like bryson said like usually they go to to Dwayne with a plan this year Dwayne came to them with a plan as far as what he wanted to do so I, but I think that was a big difference for them. And it is funny that you say that because, like, I've been pointing that out recently, too, that people have to remember that where was he at a year ago? So, like, I know people are trying to, like, if he makes an overthrow in practice, you know how Twitter works, he becomes a bum. And it's right. like, remember where this kid was at and where he's at now. And did you feel like you were talking to somebody, I don't want to say different, but had really kind of come a long way in that year? 
yeah, I, I felt like he was grown up. Now, you know, he still has a lot to learn, but you definitely didn't feel like last year, just even the way he talked, like you could hardly hear what he was saying. Um, right. He wasn't confident in his words. Um, his body language was different. And that was another interesting thing because I talked to some other people um, in the organization beforehand, just so I would kind of have some background. And I was told, dude, even walking into the building, he carries himself differently. Last yeah. year, they said he would be walking in head down, almost like he didn't feel like he belonged, kind of trying to slip into the room, almost like he didn't want anybody to see him. Now he walks into that building like, yo, I'm I'm the guy. Um, right. You know, his head's up. He's talking to people. He knows where he's going. He's got a purpose when everywhere he goes and everything he does. And as I talked to him, you could hear just that maturity, that focus. Um, and, yeah, I was like, okay, this guy sounds like an NFL quarterback. He was able to rub shoulders with um, Deshaun Watson and right. Cam Newton. And he really learned a lot about leadership and just, I think, seeing how those guys carry themselves. And he's known Deshaun for a while. Right. Um, but getting to be with – he said Deshaun's so quiet, but Cam will go on these rants and these long sermons. And But he really got a lot out of that on just – how to be yourself, how to be a leader, how to, you know, um, command the huddle, how to run this offense, how to deal with this coaching staff. And I just felt like this guy probably grew up by maybe two or three years just mentally. Yeah. Um, but it is funny because um, I mean, I wrote a lot for people listening. I wrote a story on Haskins and, and what he worked on in the offseason. A lot of what Mike just talked about are things that were in there about his desire to be a better leader and talking to people about that, his meeting with Cam Newton, which was, I guess, out in L.A. And he and Deshaun are working out with Quincy. They see Cam on the other field. They go hop the fence and chat with him for about a half hour. And it was meaningful. I believe they've, they have kept in contact. So all that stuff adds up. And I think, you know, you talk to people who are close to him, like, if, this kid, if he gets it, it's going to be really good. Or if, he, if it hits, it's going to be really right. good. But it is funny that you talk about the confidence because – one of the things that you could see it when you were around him last year, you could see it on the field and pregames and all that. Well, it was before the Buffalo game. It's not like he went out and had this great game, but he had a solid game considering the conditions, who they're playing against, where he was at in his career. But what struck me before the game, and I even talked to him afterwards about this, was that I was like, oh, I see the guy that I watched in college as right, far as the right. way he carried himself. You could tell that he's like he was starting to feel comfortable because of the work he was putting in and how he felt about where he was at. And the confidence is a big deal, because that does rub off. Guys play off that. Guys see that both both ways. They see when you're not, they see when you are, you know? And, and I was taken back to remember that moment on the sideline last year when he was telling his offensive lineman, how can I make you, you know? Right. How can I? And they were looking at him like, wait, what, kid? But I was just imagining <laughs> If he said something like he's not saying, how do I help you guys? I think when he's in that huddle now, he's saying, hey, guys, I need X, Y, Z. This is what they're doing. I need, you know, and he's I just imagine that those conversations are going a lot better just based on what I gathered in talking to him and what I've heard from people um, inside the building. Yeah, I think that makes a big difference. And so it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. The other topic I want to talk to you about is the whole Dan Snyder situation and the Washington Post with another story this week um, with the detailing issues in the organization, the cheerleader stuff and all that. What was your reaction? What do you think 
the long-term effects of that story and maybe the both stories are on Dan Snyder? Um, my reaction was not at all surprised. I think this is, again, been around the, the team as long as you have. You know, you, you, you've heard all this stuff. Right. You've heard a lot of this stuff. You've talked to a lot of the people in that story and you know what their behavior is. I wasn't surprised by any of it because, again, and, and that's the frustrating thing about our jobs. If you have standards, if you have ethics, you can't write everything you hear because you need right. your people to confirm. Um, you need multiple people when it's something sensitive like this. Right. And it helps if you have names, people who are willing to go on the record. And there's a lot of times you have to just stash something away in the mental file cabinet, hoping that you can, you know, get something. But some a lot of times you don't. And so a lot of these stories, yeah, I'd heard. I know you've heard them. And so that was my reaction was like, I was proud of those women. Some of them who I have known that their courage that they were able to, to stand up and and talk because look, this owner just tried to bully, you know, just tried to, you know, you know, file suit about defamation of character. And he's not hesitant to try to bully people. He's got a track record of that. So these women were courageous enough to stand up, even knowing that they could try to be bullied. And the long-term effects, I really, the NFL, they put out their statement that they're letting this independent independent investigation go on, this independent investigation by someone that Dan Snyder is paying. Um, And then they'll act after that. I don't know why the NFL isn't doing their own, just saying, hey, we're going to take this thing over now. Um, So I don't know what the long term of this is, but it doesn't look good. If you think about the Jerry Richardson thing and how he was forced to sell, this is pretty bad. And Snyder can say in a statement, oh, I was two hands off. I mean, I've, I've, I've been places where I've seen him throwing back drinks and rubbing shoulders with a number of people that were in those circles that were in that story. Um, I'd be shocked if he didn't know what kind of people they were. Yeah, and I think, you know, the hands off, and I think, you know, where he wants to be more hands on. And I, mean, I even tweeted something about one of the things that people hope here is that with Jason Wright and Ron Revere here is that he's more hands-off. And I think people took that to mean like, well, football stuff. No, I'm talking about the entire organization. Like this is the, as everybody that in, in reporting this and throughout this last couple months, you know that culture starts at the top. Anybody's going to tell you that. So you set the tone and it's, it's by um, who you hire. And what your, you know, priorities are now, things can happen under your control that you may not know. And sometimes you can hire someone you think is good and they're not or whatever. But um, I think him being more hands on, I'm not sure if that, you know, I think the best thing he could do is you hire Jason Wright. Right. He's very sharp. You know, let him do, let him set the culture tone and all that. Let Ron Rivera handle this over there. I don't think Dan's going to be in there saying, hey, you got to run the ball more. You got to, you know, you got to you know, do this or that. But I think with Jason Wright, that's the chance that he has to establish an even stronger culture because that's what he apparently, and everything I've heard is what he's good at. So, you know, those steps are good. But yeah, that, that, 
that statement, that part of it was one that I think some people are like, I don't know that that's going to be what this really needs. And I, I think I know why he's saying it because you kind of have to say, well, I'll take more, over, oversee more. But I still yeah. don't know that that's what is going to be needed here. So yeah. what about yeah. like, do you think that's, do you think that this is going to, would there be momentum for him to have to sell, do you think? from? Um, it's possible. Um, it just depends on, and again, I just don't know how much you can trust this independent investigation. It's a bad look. Um, and again, if the Jerry Rich Jerry Richardson was forced to sell the team, um, and if there's any more concrete evidence that they have that implicates Snyder, um, then, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the stuff that was in there, it goes against the personal conduct policy. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I would think that it is, there is substantial stuff. Um, I have not been able to get a sense from uh, people inside the league if that is something that is, those wheels are in motion right now. You know, Me either. you said they're sitting back, you know, it is very, normally you can kind of get a feel for things. Things are very quiet right now. Um, a number yeah, of people no, that I've noticed. Yeah, a number of people that you try to, and you're not getting. So that makes me feel like there are only a couple people who know what the 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 commissioner and key owners are thinking and how they're operating. That's been the hard part, and I don't know. Like, and I talk to some people say like they don't. Some people still aren't sure that this is enough to get to that point. And right. you know, I think we both know that Dan Snyder doesn't want to sell. And he's not going to be pushed into selling and he's not going to just say, I think Jerry Richardson also kind of got to a point where he said, screw it. I'm not going to fight it. I'm just, mm-hmm. gonna, I'm just going to sell. So, you know, but still like my, the other thing that people wonder is there's now been two stories. Will there be a third or a fourth? And is, you know, at what point, you know, is, is that, does that happen? I think that's the part that I'm wondering about too. Is, yeah. is there something else that comes out and that's, you know, so We'll see. Right. And and I think that, okay, the post, you know, and again, hats off to Liz and to Will and everybody else working on this thing. Um, but I think their first story came out and they probably, they didn't, that first story, they weren't able to unload everything in the clip. Right. But when they did the first one, it did lead to more people being willing to go public. And so you right. don't know. That's after why. Two, what's the next chapter? Um, I would be not surprised at all if there's a third installment with more damning stuff that's coming out. And that's, and that's what I wonder about too. And like, and just to be clear for anybody listening, we're not saying that it's going to happen, but I think oh. we all know, like, cause what you're right, the first one led to that second one where more people are coming. I'm assuming that in a lot of cases, people are there to say, okay, I've got something to tell too. And, um, you know, so I think that's kind of how it works a lot of times. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like, because I know that there's more stuff that we've heard. um, And so that's why I just feel like I know how, what a hard worker Liz is. I know how, uh, what a dogged reporter, um, you know, really persistent and very investigative will is. Um, So their, their ability to unearth things because they've been given the time and they're great reporters. That's why. And I'm not saying I want to, see more of this stuff it's exhausting goodness gracious my whole day like you know (laughs) yesterday um just turned upside down but i'm just saying that they're scratching the surface here and so that's why um i wouldn't be surprised if we learn more and then that's why i think that the league 
is sitting back they're saying that we don't know what they're doing behind the scenes right um, what conversations they're also having um while publicly saying we're going to sit back and let them have this investigation right and and again I, i'm glad you said that because we, nobody's sitting here rooting for more stuff to come out because yeah. it's it's you, none of this has been good or pleasant for anybody involved and um, I know for them internally, some of their feeling is, well, this is, you know, anything, these are events that happened 10, 12 years ago, whatever. I don't know that it's going to matter to the league. I don't know. But, you know, like I said, I mean, we're not rooting for more stuff to come out. Don't know what's going to happen. Don't know. I just know what has come out and what the reaction has been. What about turning to the, you know, several teams not practicing? We're talking on Thursday. So several teams, including Washington, not practicing today because of the, shooting in, in Wisconsin, do you think that this is going to be like the start of a season-long focus? I mean, I think we probably already there anyways, but a season-long right. focus on issues and when things arise, that they're going to teams are going to have to deal with them in a much different way than they ever had before. Well, I think, like you said, they're already headed this way. But I think that – and I know that as far as the NBA players, they felt like, okay, we can have um, – an impact using this platform here. And that was after the George Floyd murder. And then here we are a couple months later and something really disturbing happens again. And I felt like they, I think that they were like, wow, we, we thought that our impact, our reach was going to make a difference and it's not. So what more can we do? Let's you know, really try to get people's attention. So I think that a lot of these conversations among the NBA players, I think these conversations amongst teams are also going to be focused on, okay, sending messages, protesting before games, um, posting on social media, having make, making statements in press conferences. Those are all great, but what more can we actually physically do? What are ideas? So I think that in these conversations as these teams are not practicing today are about probably like, what are our resources? What can we pull together? And who do we need to have conversations with uh, to make a difference in our community? So it could be conversations with local officials, um, with state officials. Um, and, and, you know, the Players Coalition has been working with lawmakers for a while now, for the right. last four or five years. But I think that each team there that you've seen cancel practice, they're probably having conversations about how they're feeling but what they can actually do about it and what is more action, not just statements, but physical actions and steps they can take. Um, and I think we'll see a lot of those things start to manifest themselves throughout this season. And you know how society can get with this stuff. Is there a line that they have to be careful of not, because you want, you want people to understand what's going on. You want people to understand your, what you're saying and protesting versus turning people off and like turning TVs off. You know what I mean? Like, is there a line that you have to be aware of or you just go full go? I don't think they care about that right now. I think that these guys, they're family members, um, close friends. They've seen people impacted for a long time. And so I think that they're not worried about how this is going to impact them dollars and cents wise. Um, they feel like it's a calling, their moral compass. I was talking to Anquan Bolden just yesterday, and he said, I said, dude, you could be enjoying, you know, when Doc Rivers said, I should just be a coach. You know, I think every single player in the NFL would rather just play football and just oh, focus yeah. on that. And I said to Anquan Bolden, one of the co-founders of the Players Coalition just yesterday, I said, 
you could be enjoying your retirement. You know, you could be enjoying your kids, but you were working tirelessly with lawmakers and, you know, community people and school districts and everything. Why are you doing this? Because people think you guys are trying to get attention, but really you guys would rather not have to do that. He said, no, I don't want to, but my moral compass won't let me not. When I see someone in need, I have to do this. So I think that a lot of guys have that same type of mindset that, you know what, my moral compass won't let me just worry about my pocket because I know where I came from. And in those communities, there are people who are still suffering and they need someone to really reach out and be the voice for them. Because look, this conversation is going on. Who would be having this conversation if these athletes were not in America? It wouldn't be the lawmakers. It it would be small organizations that don't have as much visibility. Um, And so I think the players understand that this is something that they really take seriously and you know, there's not going to be fans in the stands this year in most places anyway. They weren't worried about that because they, as we're seeing these athletes realize that this is bigger than sports. Uh, this is life that they're talking about. It's a unique time in, in history for them. to. I think the, the way things have come together this year, there's a feeling that you can do this now. And right. this is the time to do it now. So we'll see. But it'll be, you know. You know, like I said, I'm sure this is going to be going on because I think teams are also meeting to decide how do they want to handle these things going right. forward. You know, Washington was meeting about that as well. So, Mike, it'll always be interesting. So, we'll see what happens. I appreciate you joining me. We covered everything. Barbecue, Dwayne Haskins, Dan Snyder, and social justice stuff. Good chat. Always enjoy catching up. With you. Hey, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And um, I'll be uh, letting you know how this uh, chicken turns out. And I really think I'm finally going to do it. I'm, I think I'm going to finally do a brisket. So I'll, I'll stay you've tuned. Got to. It's, it's um, really, it's kind of a, it's, it's a, you've got to jump in and do that. It's kind of a knock until you do that. You know, it's because like you're going to, you'll probably mess it up a little bit and that's okay. Now, you, I will say this, the first brisket I did may have been my best. So <laughs> I'm trying to get back to that, but you know, I didn't have the same bark that I do now, but man, that tenderness, it's hard. Just be patient. When it gets to the stall, get the wrap and be patient. That's the key. All right. All right. Now I'm giving barbecue tips. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right, man. Thanks for having me. After this break, I'll be back with Washington linebacker, John Bostic, the benefits of the Jack Del Rio defense. When I grill or cook in the kitchen, I usually like to grind my spices fresh. The ones I make at home just taste better. But I've changed my strategy up a bit to use Dizzy Pig Craft Seasonings. Based in Manassas, Virginia, they grind their spice combinations daily, and it's easy to see why they've built a loyal following over the past 20 years. Dizzy Pig owner Chris Capel has won 15 championships on the Pro Barbecue Tour using only their products. And I've heard from other pitmasters on the barbecue tour that insist on Dizzy Pig. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Among the ones I've really enjoyed, the Raging River and Wonderbird. Both are excellent on chicken. The Cow Lick is amazing on beef, and their popular Dizzy Dust is truly all-purpose. But with 27 different blends, there's a seasoning for just about any recipe or cooking technique. Get 20% off your online order shipped in the U.S. if you use the coupon KIND, that's K-E-I-M, at DizzyPigBBQ.com. That's D-I-Z-Z-Y Pig BBQ.com. 
Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with John Bostick. What's it been like for someone who's been through a few camps and all that? Has it been, you know, just, you know, the, the offs from the off season to no preseason games. It's just a different schedule all that. What's it been like for you? Uh, I mean, the main thing is everybody's dealing with it, you know, so we, we've got to make the best of our opportunity. Obviously, we understand it's not the norm that, you know, we you know, normally deal with, um, but football's football, you know, so it's just, you know, we kind of got to squeeze OTAs and training camp and preseason games all together in one and, you know, get ready for week one. What, how different does it feel in this camp compared to last year, you know, mm-hmm. just going through the coaching change and the regime change and all that? Um, you know, I, it's different. Every, every coach, you know, coaching staff is different. Um, every coaching staff has a way, you know, they like to do things. And, uh, you know, so far, um, you know, guys are really, you know, buying in and, you know, liking what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we got to keep, you know, buying in and keep understanding, you know, how to play within the defense and, you know, make your plays when you can. Obviously, anytime there's a change, people always talk about a fresh start and all that, and it's going to feel different. What are some, what are some of the things that you have liked and appreciated now, you don't even have to compare it to the old t- the old regime, but that you have liked and appreciated about what Ron Rivera and this group is doing. Um, I I think the uh, the discipline, you know, just you know, getting guys to everybody needs to know exactly what they're doing, but they got to understand not only understand what they're doing, they got to understand why you know they're doing because you know a lot of times you know guys are just kind of well you know I'm a hook dropper, I'm a curl you know flat dropper you know but they don't understand why you know you've got to play it this way and you know this coaching staff doing a really good job of explaining why and you know bringing guys along you know each and every guy in the room. How what kind of difference has that made so far? I mean like how do you see that difference kind of playing out on the field? Oh I think it's allowing you know a lot of young guys to play a lot faster. Okay. You know you Usually, you know, you know, I hate to, you know, go back to last year, you know, but we ran a complex defense. So, you know, getting young guys to be able to come in and play fast and, you know, actually just be able to understand, you know, what the offense is doing to you, how they're trying to attack you, you know, in that defense, it, it makes it hard because there's so many things that you got to think about before the play, you know, and our coaches are really doing a good job of trying to minimize those things and letting you go and play fast. What's, you know, with, with, with Jack Del Rio, again, new coordinator, He's the guy you guys are dealing with the most on defense. So what's it been like under him so far? What, what sticks out? Uh, so far, uh, you know, he's a hard-nosed guy. You know, um, you know he, he's old school. He wants to stop the run. Um, you know, he wants guys getting after it, you know, in the run game, in the pass game. Um, you know, so I, it, for me, it, it's, it's nothing new for me. You know, I, I like coaches like this that love football, you know, that's, you know, energetic, that, you know, is passionate about the game. Um, you know, makes coming to work, you know, easy, you know, because it's what you love to do. You know, you got a guy that's played, you know, football and been around football for a long time. What's he like in the meeting rooms? Because, he, you know, he is like, he's not someone we've had a chance to be around because of this weird situation. So what's he like in the meeting room for you guys? How does he connect with you guys? Oh, uh, same way. You know, he, he he's going to be straightforward with you. He's going to tell you exactly, you know, what he wants. And, uh, you know, he's going to let his coaches coach. And, um, you know, when it comes down to it, um, you know, he expects to, you know, the most out of us. For this defense, for your responsibility in the middle there, how does it change compared going from a, a 34 to a 43? How does that change for you and what you're being asked to do and, and et cetera? Uh, well, it, it kind of varies, you know. Uh, you know, for the most part right now, you know, I've been, you know, at, at the wheel spot, you know, versus, you know, you know, in the middle like I normally am. Um, you know, but for the most part, you know, football's football. You know, you're playing a sub game most of the game anyway. Right. Uh, you know, so, you know I'm, I'm asked to cover, you know, tight ends a little bit more, you know, than I have in the past. You know, last year, you know, we were a big quarters team. Um, 
you know, we played a lot of cover two, you know, in, in my past, in my career. So I've done that a lot. Um, but, you know, playing even the dime spot, you know, it, it's allowed me, you know, to do some different things. Um, but, you know, right now it's just, you know, kind of taking it day by day. And, you know, we'll just see you exactly, you know, where, where they want to put me at and where they want me to, you know, call home at. Is that, you know, typically you're going to be in that middle spot. Do you, is that what you prefer? And I know that, I know they're big on moving guys around to see what they can do, but, you know, it always kind of heard you in the middle. Is this just you? They just kind of testing to see what you can do out there, just in case, or, or what? What do you think? I, to be honest, you know, wherever they ask me to go, you know, that's that's what I've been doing. You know, I haven't really asked too many questions. Um, you know, it's just going out there, and making plays, showing you know what I can do. Um, you know, they, they've seen me play Mike, you know, a lot. You know, right. so I feel like right now, you know, I'm showing a lot of versatility by being able to you know switch back and forth between you know Mike and you know Will right now, and you know and you know backer and dime. Um, you know, not everybody's doing that. And you made some plays out there in, against the past, um, the last few days too. So that's, that always helps, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely helps. So, uh, like I said, you just got to take it day by day and, you know, whatever they're asking me to do, just make sure I can go out there and execute at a high level. For you, this is the first time you've been able to stay with the same team since I think it was with the Bears in 2015. What mm -hmm. different, even though it's a different, um, you know, different style of defense and all that, different coaches, what does that, how does that help you? What, you know, how good does it feel to be in the same team for a second year? Uh, to be honest, I, I don't really even think of that, you know, because I mean, I've had, you know, new head coaches after, you know, new general managers after, you know, new defensive coordinators. I mean, I mean you can look at how many defensive playbooks I've had to learn, you know, throughout my career and, uh, you know, just being able to pick it up and understand it, you know, you know the best on the defense, you know, is something that I always, you know, um, you know, make sure I, I, I do, you know, I study the defense, you know, backwards and forwards. I like to know, you know, what everybody's doing and why they're doing it, you know, not just, you know, my position or, you know, just the linebacker positions, you know, I want to know if the safeties are calling something, you know, I want to know, you know, why they're calling that, you know, so, you know, I'm very in tune with it, but, you know, every year is different. And, you know, the way I look at it this year is like, I got to come in, I got to prove myself to a new staff. And, you know, so far, you know, I think I've done a pretty good job, you know, so I just got to keep taking it day by day and, you know, let the rest kind of take over for itself. What was your offseason work like going to another defense? Because I remember talking to you last year when you came here and all the work and the film study you put in, I think it was like you said, you went back and watched previous two years of film and all that. So what kind of extra work did you do to kind of get ready for this defense and the way teams attack this defense? Um, you know, I've, I've gone back. I've watched uh, all 2015 um, with Carolina. Okay. I've watched uh, 2015 with Denver. I've watched 2016 and 2017 with the Raiders. Um, and then over other four, three teams, I've, I've watched, you know, the Colts a lot of, uh, you know, cause we have some similarities, you know, between, between the defense, we're not exactly the same, but we have some similarities. So just trying to see, you know, how teams kind of attack, you know, these defenses and, you know, certain type fronts, you know, how the defensive ends are playing, how the defensive tackles are playing, uh, you know, cause it's important, you know, especially, you know, when you got a new coaching staff, you don't really have the normal time that you usually have during OTAs to see, you know, how Jonathan Allen's going to play this block, how, you know, Tim Settle's going to play this block, how, you know, uh, Matt's going to play this block. Um, you know, certain guys, you know, may forget certain things. So it, it's kind of a thing where you've got to do a lot more in a short period of time. Um, you know, so I, I think it's kind of good, you know, that I've also been moved around just because, you know, I can learn the defense inside and out, but I'm also learning, you know, 
where certain guys, you know, have to help us to be able to make the plays that we need to be able to make. How can you – everybody wants to talk about that defensive front. For you guys playing behind that, when you look at that front, what do you think? Oh, uh, I, I, see, I see a group that's getting better every day. Um, you know, I mean, you look at, you know, Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen's – I mean, you talk about three years in college, you know, four years in the NFL, you know, two gapping for, you know, seven years straight, you know, to now being asked to attack, you know, get up the field and, you know, create havoc and, you know, make people deal with you instead of, you know, you, you know, trying to keep, you know, the linebackers free. So I, I'm, I'm seeing guys like that, you know, you know, take, you know, huge steps. I'm seeing, you know, Montez Sweat, um, a guy that, you know, I would kind of just line up last year and just tell him, you know, listen to me, you know, I'll tell you everything you need to do. Um, I'm seeing him, you know, start to call out, you know, alerts and stuff, you know, before okay. play. You know, so I'm, I'm seeing the growth, you know, out of, you know, those guys and, you know, even, even, you know, on the back end as well, you know, seeing guys, you know, understand, you know, coverages and you know, how teams are going to attack us and trying to hold your leverage and keep your leverage. So I see our, a group that's growing as a whole. And, you know, one of the things, too, with the new group, and last year everybody talked about communication, mm-hmm. it seemed like some of that may have come from what you said before about the complexity of the defense because mm-hmm. you have to be on the quote-unquote same page. But when you are new in a new defense and you do have a lot of new parts out there, is it hard to get to that point? Or, or how hard is it to get to that point? Um, I think it's – it's definitely going to be a challenge wherever, you know, obviously last year was last year and that, that was a challenge, you know, um, you know, this defense that we were in last year, that defense goes all the way back, you know, to back in the day in Baltimore, you know, so a lot of that coaching tree that left and went to San Fran and went to, you know, other places, you know, and now in Denver and Chicago, um, that coaching tree goes all the way back. And the one thing that you go back and you look at those defenses, they stay together. Right. You know, and that was why, because you do have a lot of communication. There are a lot of things that have to be passed on the fly. And when you have those guys that play together for a long time, you know, you're only going to get better, you know, in that defense. You know, when you have a lot of turnover inside that defense, it makes it a lot harder, you know, to work with. And, you know, this year, like I said, they've simplified a lot of those things and, you know, allowing guys to play faster and go make plays. And, you know, we're, we're not having, you know, um, you know, guys – trying to make guys understand two positions. Because, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, a guy like, you know, Sweat, that's, a, you know, 4-3, you know, defensive end, now he's got to understand coverages and, you know, one is one, boxed, right. and, you know, in and out. And it, it's it's a lot, you know, especially, you know, coming in for a guy in your first year in the league that is just like, man, you know, I just want to get the passer and, and go after the quarterback. You know, it, it's not always that easy. Um, so it's, it's, it was definitely a lot different in this year. Uh, it's, it's a challenge, but, um, you guys are up for it. Like I said, we're, we're not the only team in the NFL that's, that's sure. dealing, you know, you got 32 teams in the NFL that are dealing with the, you know, time constraint and being able to get guys on the same page and being able to get guys to go out there and play fast. Just a couple more. And I appreciate this. Um, one, what, you know, the, the, all the stuff that happened with the organization, the off season, from the outside looking in, it feels like, oh, my God, there's, like, all this stuff going on. How did it feel as a player? And maybe what maybe helped, you know, make it seem, if it was normal, but what made it seem normal for you guys? Football's football. Um, and like I said, you know, I know it's a lot of stuff that, you know, is going on, you know, when you talk about, you know, with the COVID and, you know, trying to keep guys safe and, you know, who's allowed in the building, who wasn't. And it's different. You know, but like I said, we're, we weren't the only team that, you know, was dealing with it. And, you know, when it comes down to it, it's going to be the team that, you know, prepares the best and, you know, takes care of themselves the best. And, you know, the team is going to be, you know, left, you know, standing in the end. And for us, 
um, you know, yeah, it was a different offseason. You know, guys had to find different places to work out and, uh, you know, just to be able to, you know, stay in shape and keep in shape and be ready, you know, for training camp. There's also the, the name change and there were some other things going on that, you know, but it seems like guys have talked about Ron Rivera and maybe the leadership that kind of helps like it feels like it's steadying the ship, so to speak. Yeah, um, you know, it, when it when it comes down to it, you know, you, you've got to trust the people up top. You, you've got to trust them. you got to allow them to go do the job, you know, that they were, you know, hired to do. You know, for me, you know, my job is to play football. You know, my job is, you know, get people lined up and, you know, be able to go out there and play fast and make plays. Um, you know, and that's what I enjoy doing. You know, as of, you know, everything else, you know, you, you've, you know, these people are, you know, put there for a reason. You know, Ron Rivera, you know, he's, he's been nothing but good, you know, for this team, you know, going forward. Um, you know, we see, you know, exactly, you know, what he's asking from guys, you know, how he's challenging, you know, guys on the daily. Um, you know, so we're excited about it. What did the hiring of Jason Wright to be the first, um, he's the first African-American president in the NFL. What did that hiring mean to you? Um, I mean, it, I mean, it's big, you know, just to be the first of anything is, is, is always big, uh, you know, but, you know, obviously, you know, we're looking forward to, you know, what he brings, you know, to this organization as well. You know, everybody, you know, has a little role that, you know, they play, you know, with inside the organization, you know, we've all got the same, you know, common goal in mind and, you know, it's to, you know, get into the playoffs, win a division and, you know, hopefully win a Super Bowl. John, I appreciate you joining me. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Take care. Yep. After this break, I'll be back with a few thoughts of my own. You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, LoneOakCoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency, they work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right, put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. Now here are a few nuggets of information you need to know. Mike and I discussed this a little bit, but still wanted to address some of this topic. Washington owner Dan Snyder came out with a strongly worded statement after the Washington Post article earlier this week, calling it a hit job. It wasn't. The Post had a lot of voices on the record, which was unusual in a story like this, as Mike and I discussed. Snyder created a bad organization, and he's now paying the price in the court of public opinion. It's a good lesson for a simple rule. Treat people well, and not only will you take care of them, they'll take care of you. The reason so many people are now willing to talk is because of their experience working for the organization. The answer for Snyder isn't to necessarily get more involved in everyday affairs. It's for him to let the good people he's hired do their job. Let Jason Wright handle the business side. Ron Rivera be in charge of football. Let them determine the culture. I know it starts at the top, 
but it starts with hiring the right people. It's what these guys do best. When Jack Kent Cook was the owner, you can't. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he was some great guy, but he hired the right people and he let them work. It's not what Snyder has done well at all. After a statement, I had a former employee text me to say it was the moment she felt nothing would change. She had been hopeful before that comment. By the way, some people in the building will say they're tired of hearing everyone talk about culture. Their point, just build it. Don't talk about it. Just build it. People will know you don't have to keep harping on it. Just go behind the scenes and work toward building it. I do think Washington has a lot more positive faces to provide the public than in the past. Ron Rivera has shown he can handle this situation. It's got to be draining, but he's still getting up there and he's still putting a strong face to it. He understands how to develop team bonding, how to lead. I think there's a reason Carolina's players took his firing hard. Guys like him, not because he's nice. I think there's this misnomer of a player's coach only being some nice guy. No, it's because he's tough, he's fair, and he cares. I think when you, when you have all that, guys respond well. It's a tough one for him, but the organization will benefit from how he's doing. Same with Jason Wright, Julie Donaldson, all good faces for the public. They need to clean things up behind the scenes, but they have some good people in charge. They have before as well. There have been other good people who have worked for this organization, but I think in the high-powered roles, it's a good setup now. They just have to let these guys, these people, work. Dwayne Haskins has been up and down during camp, and it's clear he's going to need a lot of help from those around him. He does not have enough talent around to really boost him the way I think he'll need to be. They have to rely on the defense and diverse rushing attack to win. I think for Haskins, it'll be about showing the qualities that you need to see in a top NFL quarterback. It's good that he has the confidence. He's put in a lot of work. They want to make sure he can develop as an NFL pocket passer. And that means a lot of the little things that you're going to want to see. How is the eye movement? Um, Things like that. Can Can he move the safety with his eyes? My concern right now really is the inconsistent accuracy and his penchant for saying throws, something he did in college too. Will that change as he continues to progress? Um, I don't know. And I don't know that I don't know that they know. I think the feeling is that they would like to have seen some of that by now. Um, but I know that the focus really is on the decision making, and I agree with that. I think if you want to build him into a top quarterback it's got to start with the little things the decision making and again the subtle parts of playing in an NFL pocket and that's what will determine his success and as I've told you before he can't control what's around him or what's not Um, and but he can control what he does and I think the other question is will these will some of these issues be issues even if he has more talent around him he's got to prove all that and this is that's why this is a big year for him there's some days he looks really good and some days he's just off so let's see where it goes it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the guys coming back from injuries alex smith Ruben foster bryce love smith still isn't working and 11 on 11 while love and foster really haven't jumped out some days love looks all right other days yeah with Foster, he just hasn't stood out, and he's been mostly working with, you know, mostly on, as a third-team guy, and as he works to come back. It's not easy to come back from the injury he had either, with nerve damage, the ACL, LCL tear. Nothing is guaranteed with anyone from this trio. I'll also say they like their linebackers overall, especially Cole Holcomb. Some there are really excited about what they think he can do. 
I also think there are some good leaders on this in this unit. I thought Bostic was going to start in the middle, but I will say Sean Dion Hamilton has really impressed them of late. He was not impressive before putting the pads on. Since then, my understanding is the coaches talk about him a lot in their meetings. So I think that'll be an interesting one to watch. I remain concerned about the offensive line. I think they can grow together, but man, it could be tough early, especially for the left side, where as of now, I'd expect Jaron Christian and Wes Martin to start. They're very inexperienced, and that's where I have concerns. Last year, it was a new side of the left line, but you're talking about experienced guys in Eric Flowers and Donald Penn. And the experience comes from being able to to you know know what you're seeing and know how to communicate that and know how to work together. One of the problems from the offseason was the loss of a lot of time spent on the field together, getting to know one another, getting to know how to handle stunts and games, communicating that to, you, to the guy next to you, knowing what he sees, being able to tell what he sees. It takes time to build that. And without being in a game, I think that's why I'm expecting some early struggles. And it doesn't mean they can't get better. It just means that that's, you know, I've heard other teams, other people in the league talk about this, that they fear like they, they think that the offensive line is going to be really far behind because of all of these factors. And again, that's, like I said, the lines could struggle because of this. You throw in the fact that Christian and Martin are inexperienced, and that's why it's a big concern. Uh, at least for me, it is. I also know there's a lot of anticipation about Sadiq Charles, what he can do, but he's still recovering from a calf injury, so we don't really know yet. He hasn't even put on the pads. But this is another factor in the whole quarterback situation. It's why they're, they're going to, you know, while where Dwayne Haskins is in, in his development, is, is can he handle all this in front of him? That's a lot to ask for a second-year guy with as few starts as he's had. So I think it's why people are going to have to be really patient when judging Dwayne Haskins and the offense this season. There's a lot that still needs to come together. I also think it's why they're going to really be trying to hammer home the versatility of their running backs. A lot of two running back sets, a lot of the run game, and then a lot of play action off of that. And, and, and they're going to have to hope that that can help. Well, that's it for this week. A big thank you to our sponsors, Lone Oak Coffee and Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Check them out, folks. Also, thanks to Mike Jones from USA Today and Washington linebacker John Bostic for joining me. As always, thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.